Strategic Healthcare Partners, founded by principals John Crew and Mike Scribner, operates from offices in Savannah and Atlanta. Our diverse team prioritizes clients, ensuring we fully understand their needs. As your business partner, we are an extension of your professional identity. SHP tailors services to your individual needs, offering flexible pricing structures. From IPA management to financial analysis, we're here to empower your organization. Visit shpllc.com for details. Welcome to Beyond the Stethoscope, Final Conversations with SHP. I'm Aaron Higgins. Today in the News Blitz, I'm joined by Jason Crosby, where he will discuss how major retailers like Walmart and Best Buy are entering into the healthcare space at breakneck speed and how they're already shaking things up. Then I'll go over how telehealth became popular as a result of the pandemic, and yet states are rapidly scaling back some of the best parts of telehealth, potentially limiting access to care. Then Jason and Mike Scribner conclude their two-part interview with Scott Regan, the CEO of LeadWorks, about how the experience economy is the future of healthcare and what organizations can do to embrace it. Are you ready to have this vital conversation? Hi, Jason. Hey, Aaron. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to see you. So what headlines do you have for the News Blitz today? Okay, so lots of headlines this last week that I kind of put under the umbrella of how retailers continue to drive into sort of the consumer side of healthcare, right? We just saw this week Walgreens finished their acquisition for uh, the home care agency uh, CareCentrics for 700-something million, right? And so you've got 19 million lives. This is on top of their specialty pharmacy acquisition in September, 1.3 billion, by the way, Shield Health. And then, of course, last year we had Village MD, right? And so Walgreens has just gone all in on what they're calling their consumer centric healthcare company, focused on primary care, things of that nature. This is on top of CVS purchase of Signify Health. And of course, Best Buy even getting to the action purchasing a platform agency called Current Health. So I just found that very interesting. And then Walmart, everybody's retailer of choice, right? Well, here they are with Walmart Health. And they just launched in the headlines this week, Walmart Healthcare Research Institute to focus on uh, clinical trials with regards to equity and, and drugs for chronic care conditions, right? And so here they are. This is after launching Walmart Health, purchasing MeMD, My Health Journey, you know, insulin drugs, things of that nature. And so in this last week, we've seen the retailers just step up the game in this arms race known as you know home-based care. And so it's really neat to watch that evolution, I thought, and who knows what this next year will bring. So that's my headlines for this week. I can imagine going to Best Buy, get get an iPad, get get a new TV, oh, and get your blood pressure checked <laughs> and your flu shot. Is that kind of the world that we're headed towards? Isn't it something? I'll tell you. You know, some of it makes sense, right? You know, 90% of Walmart's customers live within 10 miles, within 10 miles of a Walmart. And so that logic makes sense. It's just, wow, the amount of money is, is astounding. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting diversification of their traditional retail portfolio. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Talk about disruption, right? Yeah. Well, and speaking of disruption, uh, my headlines today are about telehealth, which is kind of in that same wheelhouse, right? So during the pandemic, we saw a, a rapid expansion of telehealth uh, medicine with uh, emergency declarations made, really knocking down the walls and the barriers to telehealth in the United States. And a recent JD Power survey uh, showed that 94% of telehealth patients would use telehealth again. That number is staggering. And and why why I bring this up? Well, so the patients are obviously they want telehealth. They love the fact that telehealth has opened up access to providers and specialists that they previously weren't able to get access to, or it was complicated to get access to, you know, those in rural areas could avoid having to drive in. You know, I I live in a suburb and there are some specialists in the city that it could take me easily 45 minutes to get to on on a normal day. So telehealth is a great option for me because then I don't have an hour and a half, two hour round trip just to go see a specialist. But kind of on the heels of that J.D. Power survey is changes happening to telehealth. A lot of states are are cranking back the requirements. You know, they're rescinding their emergency declarations. And so now access to telehealth is getting complicated yet again. So we're kind of living in this dichotomy of more and more patients want telehealth, but States are now making it more and more complicated to receive that sort of care. Uh, Forty states have ended their emergency declarations around telehealth, and that's that's huge. So we here we have 94% of patients who've done telehealth want to continue to do telehealth, but 40 of the 50 states are making it harder. It's going to end up, I think, being something that Congress has to fix because we're going to then end up with a patchwork of telehealth rules. Yeah, it's it's interesting as, as COVID came about and telehealth, of course, came to the forefront where regulation and reimbursement became the two talking points about the longevity of success there, right? And I think to your point, we're sort of on the tail end now. Now it's part of, it's ingrained in how we see ourselves. We just talked about consumer healthcare, right? With Walgreens, Walmart, et cetera. Well, here you go. I think if you compare the regulation and reimbursement, it's certainly here to stay. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's interesting. In this AP article, it's it's worth a, a look at. I'll link to it in our show notes. You, know, you have people who are renting apartments in other states purely to continue the telehealth visits with the clinicians that they desire. So they can they can go to that state and be physically in that state, even though they're not going physically to that uh, clinician's practice. So that's that's wild to me. It shows that telehealth is here to stay. It's only its presence is only going to grow. It'll be interesting to see it coupled with the expansion of these retail stores going into the space too. You know, you could go to a Walmart potentially and telehealth to another doctor who's in a different state. And maybe that's that's a loophole. I think all this is going to come together. Okay, Jason, I think that brings us to the end of our news blitz. Uh, we have the second half of our interview with Scott Regan coming up, I think. Yes, a continuation. If you listen to part one previously, we continue that conversation. So 
For all the administrators listening, some very insightful input by Scott, who's been there, done that on the marketing front. Looking forward to, to the discussion we'll have. I am looking forward to it. Everybody, thank you, Jason. So we have to look, we have to look at all of this from the eyes of the patient and we have to look at it critically. That's the first step. Look, step back and look at the experience from the eyes of the patient. We know what that experience is. The doctors, the administrators, they know, they know, because you work with a lot of these folks and I'm, and they probably gripe to you about some of these things. And they gripe to me. I've worked with a lot of physician practices and we're always asking, how do we fix this? The check-in process here, our check-in process is a mess. It's actually easy to fix if you want to fix it, but fixing it requires to train people to do things differently. And that's where we all always fail. People like to go back to the way the things were because they're comfortable with it and it's easy for them, may not be good for the patient. And I guess to, to cut that positive, it does feel like this is such an anomaly and that reordering my practice to be experience-based would be so unique that there's there would seem to be some branding benefit, some leveraging of the concept on to growth if we can crack that. I would look at the concierge medicine model, not as going to that model, but looking at what concierge medicine is trying to do. The whole basis of concierge medicine is trying to create a much better experience for the patient of one, a true one-to-one relationship. You got me 24 seven. I'm going to, if you go to the ER, I'm going to show up for you. I'll be there. All those different, all those things. And so in order to provide that doctors are saying, I can't do that for 3000 patients, but I can do it for 600. I challenge that thinking. There are some things in concierge medicine that I think are applicable in a big practice. Some of this in the payback, if you just had one person dedicated to truly all they did in a big practice was answer the phone and get people to the right place and call people back. It's an expense of $30,000 a year, maybe 35. And, but the reward is probably huge just by being able to have that kind of personal experience that somebody's calling you back in 10 minutes, sorry that you got voicemail or they get a live person on the phone. But how do, you know, can we take the best of what concierge medicine has to offer and integrate it into a large practice that's not, doesn't want to go the concierge route. And I think there are ways to do it. Technology is, there's all sorts of technology coming out that allows us to automate a lot of things and make things better. Unfortunately, the EMRs are, can be pretty complex and we're focused on getting bills to the insurance company and getting them through the payment processors and all those sorts of things that we lose sight of all the other things that we could be doing to beyond just making sure we drop the bill correctly and we collect them. We have to do those things, but we ought to be investing in other technology and other, and so, sometimes just some aesthetic redesign of our rooms and our processes so that our patients, when we come in, they feel like this is a warm and friendly place. I like coming here. I like coming here because it's the experience is very welcoming. I don't feel like I'm just a patient with a number waiting to have a charge dropped. And so many of us feel that way in healthcare today. How do you assess for all that? Is there a process you go through to get the pros and cons and kind of point it in a direction? I was asked to work with four primary care clinics up on the Jersey shore last year, and I'm still working with them and the first, and they're very, they're primary care practices and they very 
multiracial, multi-ethnic communities. And the first thing I did, I spent four hours just sitting in the lobby of each one of those practices, the first four hours of the morning on, on four consecutive days, just watching what happened. And the most amazing thing to me that didn't happen was the administrator never came out to see what was going on herself. And the administrator's locked in a back office where it's literally chaos out in the front lobby. It's, and it's designed chaos. That was the thing. It was designed chaos. The process was designed that way. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking. And when I brought the administrator out that afternoon and I said, Kim, first thing I want you to do, I want you to look around on the wall. Say, if there was a spot that they could tape something that told you what you weren't allowed to do, they had it taped up there. You know, as of this date, we're no longer, you can no longer give us checks. As of this date, you have to sign in on this table over here. Do not come over here if you don't have your proper paperwork. All this negative stuff, there's this vibe of, oh my God, it's like, we really don't want you here. It was on the glass in front of the check-in people. It was on the walls. It was everywhere. There was, the, there was these hand-typed, and a lot of them had grammatical errors. It's just pounding it out on their on Word and printing it off on their computer, and they're sticking it up on a wall. I said, what's the impression you get here? You're not wanted. You're not wanted. I said, the first thing you need to do is take everything off these walls. And she looked at me, and she goes, so the CEO of the primary care system, he told me to put some of this stuff up there. I said, it's nonsense. Tear it all down. And I challenge the thinking that the CEOs wanted you to cover this wall up, every wall and every window, every, every door with negative messages that pretty much tell the patient, you're a pain in the butt. Our life would be easier if you didn't come in than if you did. Sometimes we don't see things in our own practice because it's been that way for so long. And we come in every day and we see it the same way that, that, we're, that we don't even notice it anymore. It's just a part of the way it is. And Mike, you and I were at Memorial Health together back in the in, in days where it wasn't a great place to be. And it was very much like that. Things were so bad for so long that people said, that's just the way it is here. And we see, and people are so busy in a practice, especially a, a small practice, so one or two docs, a lot of patients, and they don't have time to sit out in the lobby and look around and see what's going on and talk to people. But if we don't make the time, then the design of the experience that you get is what you deserve. Because only by really observing can we really understand what's not working and what's listening to the interaction between the check-in person and the patient, eavesdropping on the conversations of people in the waiting room and what they're saying, looking around at the aesthetics, looking at everything that's posted up there. We create more barriers in a lot of practices to communication and building relationships than we tear down because it's, Okay, there's been a change in the copay process. Somebody stick a note up saying, effective this date, you now have to give us two forms of an ID and a birth certificate and everything else if you want to be seen. Why do we have to stick all this stuff up on the walls? Every practice I've been in, unless it is like a plastic surgeon, high end, there's stuff everywhere. You look at, there's magazines on the table that date back 2015. And because nobody's cleaned up the, all the people just come in and they throw stuff out. I went into one practice, a rack of cards for, for a church, which I thought was unusual and with little Bible statements on it. And for this practice, and I asked him, I said, wow, did you guys put this out? That's, I'm surprised you would do this because I'm sure you're offensive to your Jewish patients and your Muslim patients. And they, and they said, we didn't know it was here. No idea. So evidently the, somebody came in 
from the church and just put stuff out. And how long it had been there, nobody knows. Because there's so much clutter that nobody knows what's sitting out there because nobody's really taking a look at it. Nobody's observing what's going on. We walk in, we don't see it anymore because it's almost like we're anesthetized to it and we don't want to deal with it because we've never been able to fix it. So we stopped trying. And I think what's embedded in what you're saying is that it's the constant seeing it from the eyes of the patient or the patient's family perspective rather than the administrative flow that has to occur to run a practice in the first place, right? Oh, absolutely. The administrators that I've worked with, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, Mike, there's running a practice is tough work. It is hard today. No matter what specialty you're in, it is tough. And, you know, you're fighting insurance companies, you're fighting the hospital on the patients you sent or call coverage, whatever, there's all this stuff going on. That the last thing that gets taken care of is really the observational piece, really spending time to, to be aware of the experience that you've created or not created in your practice. And we've got to figure out how to carve time out of the day. I'll tell you what, the number one thing that any administrator could do right now, that would be a huge benefit, spend one hour every day sitting in the lobby. Just sit there and watch. Don't be checking emails on your phone. Don't sit there with your laptop, pounding out some correspondence or checking the billing status and try Zetto. Just observe. In that one hour, you'll learn so much. And most of you will just, as Kim did when I had her sit with me, she was appalled. She said, I really can't believe this has been going on under my watch. And, and I've been oblivious to it. I've been oblivious to it. The next time I went up a month later, then before I even got to the practice, I said, I'm calling you uh, just to let you know, I'm, I just got off the airplane. She said, Scott, come to my practice first. I can't wait for you to see it. It was clean. It was neat. She actually came in on a weekend and bought her own paint and brush and painted the walls because she didn't want to wait. She didn't want to even get approval for it. She was, and once I pulled everything off, the tape ripped the paint off and, and you could see where things were taped. So I, I came in with my husband and we painted the walls and. There's a huge difference in appearance right off the bat. She still had a long way to go, but boy, I tell you what, now she was aware. She was aware of this whole environment that her patients were being subjected to and the really bad experience. The next month I came up, she, in the corner, she had a little kid's table with kid's books and a little reading library because most of the patients come in with their kids. They're working class people. And so what do you do? And how do you keep the kids busy? So she, she had coloring books and crayons and she had people donating this stuff. And so she had this little corner kids section. I said, that's brilliant. That's, and the parents are like, oh, now I'd like to bring my kids in because they actually have something to do. You think that's a small, that's a huge leap to moving from being a practice, worried about just funneling patients through to being a practice as trying to adopt and adapt to the experience economy. Scott, you've mentioned a lot of ways to go about doing this, how some of the administrators can get started. Fast forward a little bit, post-implementation, do you have mechanisms or are there certain ways in which today's administrator can measure the effectiveness of some of these tricks of the trade that you're talking us through today? Or is there just a absorb these things into your culture sort of concept and frame of mind versus being so concerned about ROI and measuring these items, or are there ways in which you can measure them? 
I think the best way to measure it is looking at patient volume and revenue, because I, I think this drives it. I really do. And I don't think this is just touchy-feely stuff. Without a doubt, if you have a great experience, people are going to tell others, they're going to refer, they'll come back more often, especially if you're in a more of a cash environment where you're, you have a spa or you're doing laser treatments. But if you're a strict orthopedic practice, neurology practice, pediatric practice, and you have that kind of experience, people tell their friends, they tell their relatives. And somebody says, hey, I need a, neuro, a neurologist. Who would you go see? It's, oh my God, my neurologist. Unbelievable what they do for you. Let me tell you. And versus the one that says, oh, my neurologist, I don't anywhere but there. So their word of mouth marketing is still and always will, will be the best form of marketing in healthcare. And I don't care how many billboards you put up or radio spots or specials you run or events you do, that word of mouth referral is absolutely critical. And if we want more of those, we have to deliver not just great quality, but we also have to deliver a great experience. Fantastic. Scott, if our audience wants to learn more, how can they go about doing so? How can they find you? Oh, they can, they can email me at scott at leadworks.com. That's L-E-A-D dash W-O-R-K-S, scott at lead works.com. They can pick up the phone and, and call me and I won't put my phone number out of here, but certainly if they contact you guys, you can send them my way. I'd be more than happy to have a dialogue with anybody who's listening to your podcast, who wants to learn more, learn from my experiences in trying to create positive experiences for physician practices and hospitals, more than happy to share the knowledge. Great information, an even better conversation, Scott. We uh, sure the listeners will find it all very useful and hopefully applicable to their organization. We really appreciate your time and joining us today. And we want to thank our listeners as well. And certainly look forward to the next podcast. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Beyond the Stethoscope, Vinyl Conversations with SHP. This has been a production of Strategic Healthcare Partners. Your news hosts today were Jason Crosby and me, Aaron Higgins. It is produced and edited by Nyla Weave. Our social media content producers are Nyla Weave and Jeremy Miller. And our executive producers are Mike Scribner and John Crew. For more information about SHP and the services we offer, including the back library of episodes, episode transcripts, links to resources discussed, and much, much more, please visit our website at shpllc.com. Thanks for listening. Analytics. Lacking the tandem of actionable reporting with expert analysis? Not confident in the knowledge of your reporting system? SHP's expert analysts transform data from your EMR system into actionable insights. Understand your facility's performance, control outcomes, and enhance patient experience. As payment models shift to value-based care, our guidance can improve your bottom line. Visit shpllc.com for details.